Welcome to you, and uh, as most of you know, we are doing a series on what our distinctives are as a local church. 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> what do we teach about church leadership? 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. If I delay... Let me back up, verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but if I, sorry, but I am writing these things, these things, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth foundational verse to the pastoral epistle. These things are right, so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. It's not our church. It belongs to God. Prior to this, Paul outlines the qualifications of both overseers and deacons. So these things, while it does relate to the entire corpus of what Paul is writing about, chapter 1 through to chapter 5, the the essence of what he's, he's aiming at is what does church leadership look like in the church of God? I am not going to exposit 1 Timothy 3. I'm going to use a variety of different verses to lay the foundation of what godly God-honoring church leadership should look like. So while Paul specifically outlines the qualification of church leaders in 1 Timothy 3, I am not going to speak about the qualification. That is a sermon for another day. It will be in the booklet that we are busy um, writing for the distinctive class. So I will add it in that. But for this morning, we will look at what it means to have biblical Leadership. What does it mean when we talk about biblical eldership and deaconship, often called leadership? We will not be looking at the various aspects of deaconship and eldership, just the two titles. So if you want a sermon outline, what is eldership, what is deaconship? There's your outline. And there's like seven points underneath both. (laughs) Does it matter? Yes, It matters because if we claim that we believe in the authority, sufficiency, and inspiration of Scripture, then it matters what we believe about leadership because the Bible tells us what we should believe about leadership. If we say we love the truth, then we must obey God who has delineated in his word, what biblical eldership and, lead, uh, and deaconship looks like in the church. I'm going to make a shocking statement. If there is no biblical eldership and deaconship in the church, it fails to qualify. It fails to qualify as a biblical church. It may be a church gathering and may be sincere in honoring God, but if it doesn't have the structure of biblical eldership and deaconship, it fails to qualify as a biblical church. Now, that may shock some of you, but that is what the Bible expects of us. Meet this standard. End of discussion. It matters because as leadership go, so what? The church will also go. It is true that the church will not rise above its leaders. Sound biblical leadership is a gift of God as a line of protection and preservation of the sheep. Not that we preserve the sheep, it is God who preserves the sheep through the Holy Spirit by means of the teaching of his word. But he also protects his sheep by installing elders in the church. 
where there is no biblical leadership, there is a disobedience of the truth. And that church cannot legitimately function in a God-honoring way. Biblical leadership is essential for the spiritual welfare and God-honoring existence of the church. That is weighty. All that I've just said is really weighty because a lot of churches function based on tradition. And some churches are bowing to the pressures of this world. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 speaks of the duty of shepherds to care for God's sheep. To care for the souls of God's sheep. This task is not given to anyone but to those whom God has called to be instruments of leadership over his flock. Therefore getting the offices correct is important to the church of Jesus Christ. A breakdown at this juncture is indicative of a greater theological problem, and I will point that out to you in a moment's time. How many positions are there in church leadership? My plan to approach the sermon is going to be slightly different to Peter. It will be question-answer. I'm going to give you a couple of questions up front and then answer them as we go along. Should we have a bishop? I like that title. Should we have a senior pastor? Should we have senior pastor and then elders? Or should we have a a, a pastor, a synod, and a great assembly? How should church structure work? Is there a deacon, a senior deacon, a chairman of the deacon, and deaconesses? How does it work? How many positions are there? Let me answer that question first. There are essentially only two offices. You do not find a chairman of the deacon in the Bible. It sounds nice. And I'm sure Hiren or Lorenzo would love to have that title. But you don't find it in the Bible. There is no such thing as a chairman of deacons. There are only two offices, and it is this. Elders and deacons. That is it. Elders and deacons. That's all I want you to know as you leave this morning. Paul often mentions elders and deacons together. For instance, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, he writes to the church at Philippi, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, With the overseers and deacons. Interesting how he mentions the two offices of church leadership. Doesn't say anything else. There's no vicar or bishop. We will consider these two offices in more detail. But let's begin with the office of the elders. There are three designations for this one office. Three ways in which the elder is described. So what is an elder? How does the Bible describe an elder? And does it matter if you have an elderess, a posteress? Does it matter if you have a female in leadership? Listen to a quote by Jane Wilkins. Um, A lady that in the evangelical circles has become a household name. If you don't know her, she writes a lot of evangelical books for women. She says, as some continue to debate, quote, as some continue to debate the presence of women in the pulpit, we must not miss the immediate problem. The marked absence of women in areas of church leadership that are open to them. Hmm. Catch that. It's not about women in the pulpit. It's about women in leadership. If the contributions of women are equally valued in the church, shouldn't we see some indication in the way we starve? She goes on to say, why not speak about the priesthood of all believers? 
Much of this counsel applies equally to the roles of teacher, counselor, minister, lay leader, roles that can be filled by both men and women. Roles that, if we focused on equipping, could make lighter work for the role of the pastor in a way that is well biblical, end quote. So if we follow what she suggests, to allow women in leadership, it will then free the pastor up. So women in lay leadership, it will free the pastor up to do what he is called to do. This is an example of why it matters. Because she's widely read. How does she get the idea that there is staff, lay, lay leaders, staff, and then a senior pastor? Where does she get that idea from? Where does she get the idea that there is a, a, a we need to have an equal uh, a voice of authority from women as men in the church? You know what this is called? Evangelical feminism. One of the driving convictions that is causing her to say this is evangelical feminism, where men and women are, are, are able to equally share the same office in the church. And another part that is often missed is her view of a senior pastor. That is why she separated the role of the pastor to lay leaders. If we hold to that structure, then the lesser positions, the lay leadership, since it's not pulpit ministry, can be held by anybody then. That's her point. And that's the argument that is being made by some evangelical churches today. And so, as a result of that, you have committees. And you've got, quote-unquote, church leadership. And then you have church support groups or committee uh, 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 groups. Let me say this. That is a compromise of a biblical standard. Why? Because it's clearly and definitely defined by God. We don't need to guess about what church leadership and structure should look like because God tells us what we should believe about this. Today, there's a wide array of colorful designations available for church leadership. Let me give you some. Vicar, bishop. Cardinal, I like cardinal, maybe, maybe we should employ, employ that term. Reverend, pastor, cleric, chaplain, padre, parson, priest, or minister. You can choose any one of that. If you want to be a step above, just choose one of those. Which one is correct? Are all of them correct? I say we vote for bishop or cardinal. Sounds, sounds cool. All of those terms are wrong. All of them. Why? Three designations of the office of an elder. There's one office. Three designations. What are the three des designations? For this morning's purpose, I'm going to give you the Greek words, but give you the explanation of it. Here's the Greek word for the first designation of the office of an elder. Presbyteros. Sounds familiar, right? Presbyteros. Just means... Elder. An elder is exactly what it sounds like. A person who is older. It's in the word. But it's not always specifically used of the office. It can be used of an older man. And that specific word is presbytero. That is an older man. When it's used of a woman, it is Presbyteras, that is an older woman. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 speaks of older men, not in the office, and older women, not in the office, but as elderly people in the church. Why do I say that? Because if Paul wanted to speak of older, elderly women of wisdom in the pulpit, there is a word for that. If he wanted to say that there should be women leaders, he had the word available. And he never, ever uses presbyteras of the office. Only presbyteros, that is masculine. 
Now the office is used, it's called a technical term. When it is used in the technical way, it is only definitively used of those in church leadership. 1 Timothy, sorry, let's go to Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Here we find the office identified. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remains in order and appoint, see that word, elders? That's presbyteros. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That is the office. Install the office of elders in the church. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. I don't normally page around a lot when when we do exposition, but for the purpose of the series, uh, we will do that. 5.17, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. I'm not mentioning this verse because of our discussion this morning. Um, But yeah, the office is in view. How do we know? Especially those who labor in what? Preaching and teaching. See a connection. The office of elders relates specifically to what? Preaching and teaching. Keep that in mind. Remember what Jen Wilkins says. Lay leaders and senior pastor. So then the pastor has the responsibility of the pulpit. Whereas the lay leaders, they don't according to evangelical feminism. In both these verses, we find this technical use of the word presbyteros, elders. Presbyteros also sounds like the word presbyterian. And you might say, well, then we are presbyterian, right? Because it's, I mean, if we believe in eldership, then we must be presbyterian. Well, no, we are not. Here's why. Let me tell you how the Presbyterian church structures their leadership. So in the Presbyterian church, you have the elders who are also known as the session or the consistory or the church board. They are underneath the synod. The synod is a group of elders who come together and they are called the presbytery. And then over them is the general assembly. General Assembly, Synod, Elders. They all rule over different aspects of the church, or at least the, the, the churches. Most Reformed and Presbyterian churches hold to this model. We don't. Because that doesn't describe a biblical structure. It's unbiblical. Titus 1, 5 says, go and establish what? Elders, not a synod, not a great assembly or general assembly. Elders, that is it. End of discussion. So the word elders refers to the office. Please note, no other categories are mentioned. Churches are taking liberties when it comes to church leadership. Because they, if you're not in a denomination, you're free to do what you want. Well, no, you're not. Because churches do not decide what church leadership looks like. God does. And if you remember 1 Timothy 3, uh, 15 says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. In the household of God. You may be under shepherd. You may be shepherding a a, a community of believers. But they don't belong to you. They belong to God. So yes, we do not have the right to decide what happens in church leadership. The highest position in the church under the headship of Jesus Christ is what? The elder. The highest position in the church under the headship of Jesus Christ is not the vicar or the bishop or the super pastor. I don't know what else you get about that. It is the elder. Now you may say, but what about the apostles? Well, we'll get to that. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll, we'll get to that. The word both defines its maturity in the, in the sense of, of, of uh, having grown and lived life. He's got a bit of gray hair and so both are implied. 
He's a man of age and a man of maturity. A man who has lived life and can give godly wisdom because of his understanding of scripture and he's, he's older. Now, I don't know if I qualify as older, but I do have gray hair. A man who has a level of maturity and respect before the church. The second term that identifies the position of an elder is overseer. Episcopon, overseer. So this second term we need to clarify. Because episcopon sounds like what? Episcopal. Episcopal. Episcopalian church. Now, when that word is used, there's generally two different uh, churches in view, Methodists and Catholics, or sometimes the Orthodox Church, um, Eastern Orthodox, the Lutheran and the Anglican churches all consider themselves to be Episcopalian. So do they believe in church leadership, eldership, as the Bible defines it? Well, not exactly. The King James Version translates this word as bishop. Unfortunately, that is a very weak translation. Because in the term overseer, the definition is already resident. Think of it. Compound word, oversee. The definition is in the word. To oversee. Bishop is more of a title rather than a definition. That's the difference. And I think it's a very weak translation of the word itself. In the Anglican churches, the Episcopalian churches, you have different structures. Let me read you some of the ways in which these structures are defined. There's the major archbishop. Oh, that sounds cool. He's the head of some of the Eastern Catholic churches. Then you have the archbishop. It just sounds so reverential. The bishop of the archdiocese. Then you have the metropolitan bishop. And you can hear the, the, the meaning there. It's over various uh, churches. The archbishop who, is, who has charge over ecclesiastical province. Well, that's a cool job to have. So you've got various churches who are, who are under your purview. You are not just the bishop. You're not the archbishop. But you are the metropolitan bishop. Hmm. Maybe Peter would like that title. We, we can attribute major bishop to Don. <laughs> you can hear that there's a hierarchical system at work, and that's exactly what is in play in the Episcopalian view. There's a hierarchy. You've got the lay leaders, and then you have to work your way up to the major bishop and the guy who's right on top, which I don't know who he is. How's this word used in the Bible? Turn back to Titus 1, verse 7. Titus 1, verse 7. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Pause there. So now he's going to explain the qualification of an overseer. Who is this overseer? Verse 5. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The overseer is the elder. It's the same person. So he says, go and establish elders in every church or in every town. And now I'm going to give you the qualification of these elders. He is called an overseer. It is in the word. He has to look over, watch over, save God. The flock of God. Presbyterus tells us a little, about, a little bit about who he is. He's a mature older man. Episcopus tells us a little bit about his activity. It is to have responsibility of safeguarding and to see that a thing is done in the way that it should be done. That is a task that is described. It is a resident in the word. Oversee God's flock. So it is a word that is used of the official guardianship that is given over a group. And when Paul uses it, he uses it of the task, to describe the task of the elder. This man sees over 
on God's behalf. And take note how Paul describes the church. Again in verse 7, for an overseer uh, as, a, as God's steward, we watch over God's possession. We are safeguarding God's people. That is what the task of the elder, quote, overseer is. It is interesting that in 1 Peter 2.25, these two terms, overseer and, and, and shepherd, are used of God. For you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Both shepherd and overseer refer to God. Why? Because in a sense, an elder must represent God because he watches over God's people. The third term that we have, we had um, episcopos, we had presbyteros, and now we have poimain, poimain, and that's the word shepherd, which I've just mentioned in Peter. Shepherd. Acts chapter 20. In presbyteros, we have the maturity of the man. In episcopus, we have the activity of the man. And in poemain, we have the manner in which the man ought to do his work. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, what is that word? Episcopos. Overseers to care for the church of God which you obtained with his own blood. Now take note. Do you see that word to care for? You know what that word is? Poimain. It's in its infinitive form here, so it's poimain. Same word, different form. And it literally means to shepherd. And if you have that translation, it is a good translation. So read it with that in mind. Pay attention to yourself and to all the flock. Take note of that. It's not your flock. To all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. There's a weightiness to what God requires of his overseers. The elder who is overseer or to what? Shepherd. Whose flock? God's flock. All three words are used of the same group of men, the elders. But the context here in Acts chapter 20 is very important. Paul speaks of the church of God as a flock. And then he speaks of savage wolves who will come in amongst the flock and will ravishly destroy them, not sparing them. And he says, you need to take care of yourselves so that you may be able to shepherd the flock of God. So two things that God gives to the church, and it is resident in the definitive terms, overseers and shepherding. You are there given by God to watch over, to safeguard God's people and to protect, shepherd and provide for God's people. That is in the context of false teachers. Think about that. What does God give to the church as a protective measure in the midst of false teaching and danger? Shepherds, overseers. God's gift to the church when there are dangers from within and dangers from without are godly, faithful shepherds in the pulpit. God cares for his flock so much that he provides shepherds to protect his people. These shepherds are elders and overseers. So the task of overseeing and and shepherding are connected. The task of taking responsibility over the flock is done in the manner of shepherding. 
that is protecting and providing for God's flock. When danger comes, the shepherd does not beat the sheep, but he places himself between the imminent danger and the sheep. That is what God has done for his flock. I have provided you a means of protection. When a church functions without shepherds, They function without the God-given gift of protection and provision. Spiritual provision through teaching. Spiritual protection by edifying and educating the church to watch out for false teachers. When there is no godly leadership in the pulpit, the flock is exposed. But God has made a provision. He has given elders to the church. Church leaders have the responsibility to be on watch for the sheep of God, that is to oversee and to care for them by shepherding them. Why is this important? Well, look at the end of verse 28. To care for the church of God. Again, possession is not the elders or, or, or... or anyone else's, it belongs to God, which he obtained with his own blood. Wow, such weighty theology there. He doesn't say which Jesus obtained with his own blood, because that would be true. He says it is the church of God which he, God, obtained with his blood. Why? Because it was God on the cross dying for his sheep. That is with implication here. The shepherd, the under shepherds, we did not die for you. But the Savior, the great shepherd, has shed his blood for his sheep. And and to protect his sheep, he gives under shepherds to care on his behalf while he's away. Leadership is to reflect God's relationship with his flock. This is waiting for Peter, uh, Don, and, and myself. I was going to say Peter, John. (laughs) Peter, Don, and myself. You should change your name, brother, to John. (laughs) Leadership is to reflect God's relationship with his flock. He's a shepherd who cares for his flock. Leadership is not to be some made-up hierarchical system that bows to tradition. It is simply supposed to fulfill what God requires in his word. 1 Peter chapter 5. One last proof. 1 Peter 5. Look at verse 1 two, and, and, and 2. So I exhort the elders, presbyteros, among you, and f- a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. All three terms used. Presbyteros, shepherd, uh, poimen, and overseers, episcopos. All referring to the same person, the same office. This is why leadership matters. When leadership fails in the simple implementation of its structure, the church suffers. When shepherds are fearful and weak, the sheep are left and exposed. When overseers are deaf, dumb, and I will not say the other word, but rather say, unaware of the dangers from without and the threats from within, then the flock is harmed. When the shepherds are more fearful of government than God, the sheep are exposed to all manner of danger and evil. It matters because it matters to God. What this shows is that the role of the overseer 
the role of the shepherd, the role of the elders is not a small task that should be ended lightly. That is a, it's a task that is established by God and men who are called by God are to fill that position. What you do not find in scripture is vicar, supreme bishop, clergyman, lay elder, reverend, minister, priest, ordained pastor, elderess, pastoress, or any other permeation that is now current in our day. What you do find is elder, or so I should say elders, overseers, and shepherds. Those are the terms that is descriptive of the office singular. What about chapter 4, verse 11 of Ephesians? So some say, well, I hear you, I hear you, but there are four offices given in Philippians, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Let's look at them. And he gave, number one, apostles, number two, the prophets, Number three, the evangelists. And number four, the shepherds and teachers. They are one. There you go. Four offices. So then if that is the case, we should then have all these offices in the church, right? Hmm. Are these offices? In fact, it is this verse that Jane Wilkins uses. To equip the saints. If you want to equip the saints, have a sound structure of church leadership that frees the pastor to do his job. These are not offices. None of them are offices. These are gifts to the church and functions within the church. Not even shepherd teachers. Let me prove it to you. Apostles was a unique position gifted to the church for a short period of time in the development of the church. They no longer exist, but it was a gift, and the gift that came with it was signed in wonders. Evangelists, that's a gift. It relates to function, what he does, not the position he has. Shepherds and teachers. You might say, well, well, the, the shepherds is being used. Yes, but the function is descriptive here. Yeah. Caring and teaching, or caring through teaching. That is in view. It's activity, it's function that is view. It's the gift that is in view and not the office or the position. And yes, you could probably make a case for shepherd being the office. Even so, the descriptive element of teaching defines the office. And that would be the only office in this list. So, all in all, these are not offices. These are gifts to the church. The only one that continues on today is the ministry of the shepherd teacher. What is the proper structure within the church? I think you have the idea, right? It is elder. Now, should it be plural elders? Or can we have a senior elder? Should the church employ a senior pastor? This is a touchy subject. Because most churches have senior pastors. You pay me. And I know some of you view me as the senior pastor. And we've tried to discount that. On a, I tell some of you, don't call me pastor. Right? Because I'm not the pastor. If you're going to call me bishop, please call them bishop as well. If you're going to call me pastor, call Peter and Don pastor as well. Just because I'm the paid pastor doesn't mean I'm the senior pastor. Senior pastor damages the equality and the plural leadership that is in view in scripture. So, let me prove that. It matters because scripture only speaks of plural eldership. That should be the end of the discussion, right? But there are some who say, well, what about Timothy and Titus? Well, good, good question. What about Timothy and Titus? I'll get to Timothy and Titus in a moment's time. The apostolic era. In the apostolic era, this is the book of Acts up till the time that John the Apostle dies. That is called the apostolic era. 
there were apostles on the scene and the claim is that Peter was the leader of the apostles and therefore because Peter's the leader we can therefore have a senior elder. Hmm, okay. How do you explain this? Acts chapter 2 Peter is clearly seen as a leader. It says, and in those days, Peter stood up and spoke. It does not say, and Peter, the leader of the twelve, spoke. In those days gives you a time span, meaning he's not leader forever. By Acts chapter 15, who's the leader? James, the half-brother of John of Jesus. So Peter initially takes the leadership. Then James probably got saved before then, and now the Lord appeared to him and had this tremendous ministry in Jerusalem, he becomes the leader in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 18, who's the leader? Paul. Even in the apostolic era, you have a shift or change of leadership, probably to signify that no single one was the senior leader. All of them were apostles. Yes, there were three that stood out in the close relationship with Jesus. But again, it is the apostolic era. It is not the standard for the church post-apostolic era. So we cannot use that as normative. In Acts chapter 11 verse 30, you don't have to turn to it. You have the gifts that were collected for the saints in in Jerusalem, being brought to the elders. In Acts chapter 11, the apostles are still present. In Acts chapter 15, it is the apostles and the elders that meet together to discuss the problem of the Gentiles being included in the church. It was not just the apostles. Yes, they send out the letter, but the elders are present with them. Why? Because there's going to be a handing over of the ministry from the apostles To the elders as time moves on. Yes, it is true that post-apostolic era, there was a move towards a bishopry, single elder, single bishop rule. And that is primarily because of a misunderstanding of Timothy and Titus. So let's, let's discuss Timothy and Titus. Who are they? They are apostolic delegates. And where do they serve? During the apostolic era. Apostolic delegates were given authority by the apostles to do something that the apostles could not necessarily do because of location. They are not there. So Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus to do what? Bring about order. And part of that is to establish leadership. To establish godly leadership. He does the same with Titus. Apostolic Uh, um, uh, authority given to Titus. He's a delegate to establish elders in Crete. So these men were there for a short period of time and what was their job? Establish elders. Now let's look at this. Go to Titus chapter 1. You've seen it, but I haven't highlighted it. Titus chapter 1, verse 5 again. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained in order and appoint a senior elder in every church. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? Elders. For those of you doing grammar, is that singular or plural? No, it's not singular. I won't mention his name, Hilton. It's plural. It's plural. Elders. Appoint elders. You're the delegate. I can't do it. Paul had to leave uh, soon or early. And so he says, you do this. Because when you go, the elders will continue on the ministry. Because that is how God has structured the church. To be run by plural leadership. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Remember the foundation verse of 1 Timothy 3.15. I uh, I write these things to you so that you know how you ought to behave yourself in the household of God. In chapter 3 he says, this is a trustworthy saying. If a man aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And so, here some say, well, it is singular. 
because he's talking about the, the singular man. So therefore, there's a singular office in view. No, not at all. The routine habit established in Acts chapter 14 that Paul, when he sends his delegates to these churches, he says, go establish plural eldership in every singular church. Plural leadership. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. Appoint elders, plural, in every singular, it's not in the text, but I'm adding singular church. This is the standard. What is Paul then talking about in 1 Timothy 3? He's identifying when a man desires the office. He's not saying when a senior man desires the office. He's not singling out the senior position. He's merely describing the office. And he has to do it because of the point um, that he has to be the husband of one wife. So plural elders is always, has always been the position. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, plural elders, let them rule well. Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul says, the elders need to come and meet with him at Miletus. Plural elders of the singular church in Ephesus. I think the point is pretty clear. The Bible always, always affirms plural elders. Always. It never affirms a senior pastor. You will not find that in scripture. Now, the case may be made, or at least some try to make the case, well, he is a leader among equals. Tell me how that works. Explain that. If you've ever played a sport, and you say, well, we're not going to have leaders. We'll all be equal. If you play rugby, you need somebody to make the calls. If you play cricket, you need somebody to make the calls. If you play netball, even in netball, you need somebody to make the call. There's always a leader. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Not so with you. The Gentiles lord it over. That is not how it should happen in the church of Jesus Christ. There must always be plural eldership. Okay. Last point on elders. The gender of the elders. I think it's pretty clear. But it's been challenged. It is being challenged today. The gender of the elder, let me just simply say, it is always masculine. Always. 1 Timothy 3, always masculine. Titus 1, masculine. Why do the last two points matter? Plural elders and gender of the elders. Because today, leadership has become a nebulous term. So everything is wrapped up in leadership. If you only move the pastor above the leadership team, you can do what you want with the leadership team. That is unbiblical. If you're going to use the word leadership, it must define the way, it must act or operate in the way that God defines it. The better term is elders, overseers, pastors, or shepherds. Rather than leadership. If you're an elder, you're called by God to shepherd God's flock. If you're a deacon, you're called by God to lovingly serve his people. Alexander Strack says, quote, Although male pastoral leadership of the church is completely out of line with 21st century uh, popular beliefs and practices, an honest interpreter of scripture must allow scripture's teaching Scripture's teaching precedence over secular society's philosophy. We have to allow scripture to dictate what happens in the pulpit and not society. There are only two offices, overseer and deacon. The second one, deacon. I have nine minutes to finish deacon. Sorry, deacons. What is a deacon? Can you have a woman deacon? What should a deacon do and how should a deacon act? The last two, it will be mentioned in the notes. What do you do with Phoebe? That's a big question. What do you do with women ministry? So the second established office by God is the office of a deacon. So overseer and deacon. 
like the confusion surrounding the office of the elders, there's a diverse uh, plethora of interpretations to the office of a deacon. In some churches, you have a deacon board, which is over the elders. Unbiblical. In some churches, you have a, a supreme deacon, chairman of the deacon, and then you have the deacons who serve the, de- the chairman of the deacon. Hmm. Unbiblical. That's not in scripture. And I understand that you want to have some sort of um, structure in leadership. God did not define that. All he says is deacons. Some use Acts chapter 6 as the foundation for uh, deacons. It's called the proto-deacon um, a passage because prior to the established uh, office of a deacon, these men were chosen to act as deacons. In fact, the word deacon is used, servants. But that's all they do. They serve tables. Two things to note about Acts chapter 6. The church selected the men to minister the need within the church. That is the function of a deacon. You will see that later. It is the church who has the responsibility to affirm that these men are deacons. These men who were chosen were all men. The argument is made, well, women can serve women in a way that men cannot serve women. Deacons, is that true? That's, that's true, right? There are certain things that women can think of that men don't think of, and they will tell you that. There are things that I miss that my wife picks up just like that. My wife and figures and numbers, I tell you, she's like a computer. She remembers things that, that I don't think is necessary, you know, but I don't want to clog my, I have a very small brain, so I don't want to clog my brain with unnecessary information. Her brain is, yeah, anyway, I'll leave it at that. Should women be able to serve in this office? Let me make the statement. If the proto-deacon is an example, proto-deacons in Acts chapter 6 is an example of what deacons should look like in the church. This was a need for women. Right? The, the, the Hebrew women and the Hellenistic women were having a fight. The Hellenistic women were saying, well, the Hebrew women are being served and we are not being served. Women problem. Who are chosen to sort it out? Men. Hmm. Can a woman do a better job there? Possibly, probably, but that wasn't God's design and desire. You go. Let them serve. So what is this office? It's mentioned in Philippians 1 and uh, uh, Philippians 1 verse 1. Overseer and deacon. They are part of the structure, leadership structure of the church. If you're going to talk about leadership, it must include elders, overseers, and deacons. That's leadership. It never appears in the official term without overseer. That's important. If it does appear in the, without overseer, it always just means to serve. Always just means a servant. That will be important in a moment's time. So it can be used in the non-technical way. Technical way, office. But always with the overseer present. Non-technical way, servant. So what this shows then is that the word can be used in a general way and also to mean the office. This will become important. God established this office as a divinely instituted position by God as a means of grace to minister to the saints and the elders. It helps the elders and it helps the saints. That is why deacons exist. Again, you can see that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are not going to go through that. What are deacons? First of all, deacons are honorable men. 1 Timothy 3 verse 12. Churches that we affiliate with may disagree with us, but look at 1 Timothy 3 verse 12. Let deacons each be the what? Partner of a single partner. If he said that, yes, both men and women are in view, but he doesn't. He says husband of one wife. Why? Because men are in view. 
You cannot argue against that. If the opposite was in view, Paul then had to make the case and let the deaconess, because the word does exist, the deaconess be the wife of one husband. But he doesn't make that case. He only makes the case from the masculine point of view. Secondly, deacons are to serve well. Look at verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Deacons are called not to do mediocre service. They are not called to do basic service. They are called to excel, to do well at serving God's people. That means that they stand out above the rest. Two things. They are men who serve well. That's the only thing that the Bible tells us about deacons. Now the qualifications that, are, that is added and that, that aligns with what the elders um, meet as qualifications as well. Last two minutes. What do you do with Phoebe? Okay. And other women. So the case is made from verse 11. And their wives or women likewise must be dignified and not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So from this verse, some say, well, women can be deacons. Okay, let's go up a verse. The flow of the text tells us that men are in view. Look at verse 9. So verse 8, deacons. Verse 9, they, speaking about the deacons, must hold. Verse 10, and let them be tested uh, and let them serve as deacons, and they must prove this themselves. So, masculine in all the pronouns, by the way, masculine. So, all of them, they, 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 who are we speaking about? The deacons, verse 11. Their wives must be dignified. He speaks about the character of the man. The character of the man is seen in how he handles his household. So his life must have an effect on his wife. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. So when the translation there says women, it is wrong. Why? Because the household is in view. Look at verse 12. Let the deacon also be the husband of one wife. It's the same word. So if it's wife in verse 12, why is not wife in verse 11? The household is in view. How do we know that? Because he goes on managing their children. The, who the deacon is, is seen in how his wife lives and how he manages, manages his own uh, household. It's a man. It's always a man. Okay, so what about Phoebe? Phoebe, Romans chapter 16. You can try to contort that passage all you want in First uh, Timothy. The fact that Paul says, husband... That settles the argument. There is no women deacon. Not found in scripture. Okay, verse um, 1 of Romans 16. I commend to you your sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at King Crea, that you may welcome her in the Lord, in a way, in a way worthy of, of the saints, and help her in a way she may need from you. I'm not read till there. Okay. Till there. Can a woman be a deacon? Can we legitimately claim that Phoebe was a deacon? The answer is can the word diakonos be used in a general way? What's the answer to that? Yes. Matthew 22, verse 13. And the king said to his diaconos, bind him hand and foot. Is deacons in view? No. Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark 9. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he should be, uh, he shall be last of all, and diaconos of all. Is deacons in view? No. Clearly not. And his mother, this is Jesus in John chapter 2 verse 5, said to the diaconos, whatever he says to you, do it. That's the wedding incident. Wedding and the wine. Are deacons in view? No. Romans chapter 13. Government, it is a 
diakonos of God to you for good. Deacons in view? Clearly not. So yes, diakonos can be used in a generic way to speak in general of mere servants. Often that is the case. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5? What then of Apollos? What then of Paul? Diakonos through whom you believed even as the Lord gave opportunity to each of one. Are we saying that Paul and Apollos are deacons? No, not at all. We will acknowledge that. What about Colossians 1, 7? Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bond servant, who is a faithful servant, diakonos of Christ on our behalf, the same words used of Epaphras. Interestingly, most of the commentaries who say Phoebe is possibly a deacon say Epaphras is a servant. Same word used, same language used, but different conclusion. Why? Because of the philosophy of ministry that drives diaconess, female deacons. Scripture do not drive female deacons. Churches drive female deacons. We will not make the case of a deacon for Epaphras because it is separated from the office of an elder. Phoebe, let me read it with the basic intent in view. I commend to you, our sister, Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancria. Do we have servants in our church here, women? Yeah. Um, Zelda loves to serve. Um, uh, Portia loves to serve. Uh, Auntie Dots love to serve. Um, uh, uh, Viona loves to serve. And there are other women who love to serve. Are they deacons? No. They would be like Phoebe. Commendable to the church because of their character, their willingness to serve. So no. Church leadership do not include women at any level of the office, both eldership and deaconship. Okay, I am done. I haven't completed my notes, but I'm done because my time is up. But why does it matter? Let me give you some reasons why it matters. I'll list it. The charge and accountability that is given to men in 1 Timothy 5. Leadership matters because they stand before God on God's behalf. They serve you on God's behalf. Secondly, the succession of leaders. Leaders are to install leaders. God calls us to recognize that there are men who are deacons and recognize men who are elders. The succession of leadership has always been men. In the Bible, I should say. Protection of the flock. 1 Peter 5 warns that dangerous times and wicked people are ahead. Shepherds are given as a protection to God's people. Wicked days are ahead. Ephesians, uh, Acts chapter 20, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Wicked days lay ahead. God gives leaders to the church because he cares about his flock. When men in the pulpit fail, then families at home will fail. Men fail in the pulpit because they have failed in their families. This is why it matters. Because leadership in the church reflects the relationship that Christ has with his, with his bride. So we are not free to have a free-for-all determination of what leadership should look like in the church of Jesus Christ. We teach that leadership is defined, delineated, and directed by God and God alone. Not tradition and not anyone else. This is why leadership matters. Let me close in the word of prayer. Father, we are thankful to you for the grace that you've given to us in the establishment of the two offices, elders and deacons. 
It is important for us to remember that these are established to honor you, to bring glory to you, and for the benefit and blessing to the church. We pray for grace as at times we have been unfaithful and unbiblical in how we've employed these offices and in, in how we've approached it. We pray for wisdom as we move forward, as the world and as the evangelical church is influenced by feminism and evangelical feminism, by the confusion of gender and allowing the LGBTQ um, movement to infringe upon the offices that you have installed. Help us to stand firm upon your word. Help us to be immovable on what you have given to us, clearly outlined in scripture. Help us to be faithful to it and to obey it. And for the next generation of leaders that will rise up in this church, Lord, give them the conviction that they need to be immovable upon your word, to be immovable from the truth that is explained in your word and to stand firm upon what you say concerning your church. Grant us grace in these dark and evil days to not be fearful of man, but to fear you and to be faithful to you and you alone. We give thanks to you for your grace and your kindness toward us in Christ Jesus.